0: Welcome back to Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. I'm your host, May Claire Bolton Smith, and I'm the Senior Leader of Research and Content Strategy with CoreLogic. In this podcast, we'll converse about key topics from housing affordability to the impacts natural disasters have on property, which brings us to today's episode. This has been one of the most active Atlantic hurricane seasons on record, with 26 named storms, and the latest, Epsilon, is currently out in the Atlantic as we record this episode. The record for the most number of named storms in a season is 27, set back in 2005. But at this same time in 2005, there had only been 20 named storms, so currently we are trending higher this season. So this is what we want to talk about today. For episode two of CORE Conversations, I welcome Dr. Daniel Betton, meteorologist and principal hazard scientist with CoreLogic, to talk about this extremely active hurricane season. As a scientist myself, uh, with a background in earthquake seismology and a bit of a natural catastrophe freak, uh, I'm really excited for this episode. So let's get started. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today on CORE Conversations.
1: Thanks for having me, Miquelor.
0: So to get started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and a bit about your role here at CORE Logic?
1: Sure. So I have a PhD in meteorology from the University of Oklahoma. I focus mainly on sphere storms, but uh, my PhD advisor did a lot of hurricane work as well. And then about three years ago, I moved over to CoreLogic to be the principal scientist for our real-time weather products for hail, tornadoes, and for wind, which includes hurricanes.
0: That's so awesome. How did you know you wanted to be a meteorologist? (sighs)
1: So I think growing up in Dallas, Texas, we had severe storms every year. And rather than being scared, I would just go to the window, uh, watch the lightning, uh, I would ride my bike to hills trying to see storms if they were nearby. And I was just fascinated by that. And I was very fortunate that uh, certain cir- circumstances lined up and that allowed me to uh, pursue some meteorology research. As a high school student, uh, I went to the International Science Fair with the project on tornadoes. And uh, then during a college visit, I met my Ph.D. advisor at at University of Oklahoma and the rest was, was history.
0: rest is history. I love that. That's so awesome. So I mentioned off the top of the episode that this has been a very active hurricane season. Can you talk a little bit about why that is?
1: Sure. So right now we are in a moderate La Nina, which means that sea surface temperatures across the Central Pacific are below normal and La Nina years are normally correlated with higher hurricane activity and especially more hurricane activity in the Gulf of Mexico, which is actually what we've seen. Uh, There's been a lot of landfalls across Texas, Louisiana, uh, but Florida has been mostly missed and that's actually uh, right in line with what we see for a lot of La Nina years. But the reason we've had so many hurricanes this year is because sea surface temperatures across the tropical Atlantic are near record levels. So there's a kind of lower threshold for uh, what the temperature needs to be to support hurricane activity. So a hurricane can't form unless the waters are at least around 78, 79 degrees Fahrenheit. And that area uh, that supports hurricane activity is basically a record high this year. And that's why we've seen so many hurricanes. We've seen a lot of hurricanes further north in the Central Atlantic than normal, and even some off the coast of Europe. That's highly unusual. And there's not many years that uh, the sea server temperatures would support that activity.
0: Wow. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of things that have seemed really unusual about this year. So if we look at the 2020 season so far, uh, what's the worst hurricane we've had this year? And how would you compare it to something like Hurricane Harvey or Katrina, some of the really bad ones that have happened in the past?
1: Yeah. Well, that would be Hurricane Laura. Laura made landfall around Cameron, Louisiana, uh, winds, maximum winds of 150 miles per hour. We estimated the losses to be between eight and $12 billion, uh, which was low for a strong category four border, almost category five hurricane, because that area of Louisiana is very uh, unpopulated right along the coast. And uh, if you compare to hurricanes like Katrina and Harvey, those were Category uh, 4 and, and Category 3 hurricanes when they made landfall, but they caused upwards of $125 billion worth of damage, mostly due to flooding. Laura, uh, because it hit a mostly unpopulated area, uh, the storm surge was not threatening a major population along the coast, and then uh, it was moving fast, so it wasn't didn't have time to build up the catastrophic flooding we saw with hurricanes like Harvey or, or Hurricane Florence.
0: Right, yeah, I know that that's the, I've had a lot of people say to me too, that this year it seems like the hurricanes haven't been that bad because they haven't had the flood that a lot mm-hmm. of the the most severe ones have. They've been mostly wind and storm surge. So if we look kind of back in history, what's the most devastating storm we've seen in history?
1: Well, there's different ways to classify that. Uh, Hurricane Camille mm-hmm. had winds of almost 185 miles per hour. Uh, when it hit uh, Mississippi in the 1970s and then but in terms of losses Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Harvey uh, tie for losses simply because uh, the level of flooding caused immense devastation and uh, you know Harvey was sitting over Houston for a number of days flooding good uh, big portions of that city Uh, and then but in terms of flooding that's normally what uh, causes the highest losses that's
0: and that's really important because when we're looking from an insurance perspective, a lot of the flood losses are uninsured compared to the wind losses. So those really big flood events end up being really big hits on the on the economy because there's not the insurance to to protect the homeowners.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's always a a battle between whether the insurance is covering the wind damage, uh, the private insurance, or government insurance is covering. the flood damage and then it's also a a scramble to see who as you were saying who is the uninsured people that whose homes were flooded because that impacts mortgages and home sales and, and has all these different kind of trickle down things because those homes weren't insured for the hazard
0: right then just the broader impact on the economy in total so okay so I know you're a storm chaser, and we've now learned that that started back when you were a kid on your bike. So can you talk a little bit about your experience hurricane chasing specifically?
1: Sure. So I've been in five hurricanes, uh, four hurricanes, wow. driving radar trucks uh, near the coast uh, as a grad student. And then I got to chase one hurricane for Core Logic a couple years ago. I met back up with my advisor and, and helped them collect some data and collected some of our own stuff. It's always fun.
0: I'm sure it is fun. And we should just public disclaimer um, that people should not storm chase at home. We're not encouraging people to do this, but uh, we do appreciate understanding your perspective of it because you have done it. And I I guess specifically for the one that you chased as part of CoreLogic, um, what did CoreLogic do with the data and observations that you collected?
1: So I was positioned with the team, uh, one of the groups we were driving around the city uh, of Wilmington for Hurricane Florence. It was actually a cautionary tale of why it's it's dangerous to, to chase hurricanes. That during the storm, we we drove around, we took measurements of, of maximum wind gas. Uh, we drove around, did my own damage survey and took pictures of uh, wind damage to help uh, you know us understand the level of damage uh, correlating to different wind speeds, different types of structures, uh, and then the day after the hurricane hit, we went out to retrieve some instruments we'd put out, uh, kind of out in the middle of the country, uh, maybe 30, 40 miles outside the main city. And this is after there had been heavy rains, and the storm kind of Florence lingered in North Carolina for days. You know, it was causing this catastrophic flooding, and. Yeah. So we went in to retrieve our instruments. We left all of our stuff and clothes and stuff at the hotel, and then the rivers all rose behind us, and we got stuck for a day oh and a gosh. half. Yeah, we have all <laughs> these PhDs, and we we didn't we couldn't associate. You know, this is what the level of flooding looks like. Uh, could, you know, we knew it was coming, but not you know that every road in that every highway in that whole area would be cut off for 24 to 48 hours.
0: Wow, which is why evacuations are in place and why people are told exactly. to leave, and why we don't encourage people to do storm chasing. Uh, yeah, even when you know you really... what you're doing, yeah. And and have <laughs> been in,
1: you know, my advisor's probably been in a dozen hurricanes, and he still underestimated the flooding threat. So it's that's wow. probably the most. Uh, yeah, everybody thinks of the winds as being the scariest part, but the, when the storm surge comes in, that's the thing that really catches people off guard, sure. and if they're out in the middle of that or, or even in their home and underestimating the level. Um, that's mostly what takes people by
0: surprise yeah, that, that's actually a really good point because I think a lot of people when they think hurricane, they think wind. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen from the some of the bigger ones, as you mentioned earlier, that it's it's the storm surge and the flood, the rainfall flooding that causes so much damage and and really puts people's lives at such risk. So hurricanes do need to be considered as not just a wind storm, but also a wind and water storm, right.
1: There's a lot more things um, you can do to prepare your home to weather the winds uh, versus, you know, the water, once the water level starts getting up above your, uh, you know, your door height, then it's very difficult to prevent it from That's getting right. into your house.
0: Right. Yeah. You can't just, you can, you can board up your windows, but you can't really raise your house with a moment's notice. So right. now really important things to make sure people stay safe and do follow all of the evacuation notices that do come out when, when bad storms are coming. So, Okay. Here at CoreLogic, when a hurricane is brewing out in the ocean, we offer insights into the risk and properties in harm's way prior to landfall. And then after an event, we'll offer a loss estimate and that looks at how bad the event might have been. So we use our website, hazardhq.com to share information. But I think a lot of people just say, here's our loss estimate and and here's the Mm -hmm. properties at risk. Can you talk a little bit about the behind the scenes and what the science team at CoreLogic does to respond to hurricanes?
1: Sure. So, you know, as we have a number of meteorologists that are focused on tropical meteorology and hurricanes. So during hurricane season, we're always checking the forecasts, looking at forecast models and, and seeing, you know, if anything's going to form. And then once a storm does start to form, is it going to start, is it going to impact the US, you know, US coast? And so once we get out three or four days and the certainty that it will impact the coast starts to go up. You know then we start to get into action. We start putting together forecasts uh, for public release and trying to figure out what unique insights we can provide with regards to the forecast, the uncertainty, and if the forecast shifts by fifty or one hundred miles, uh, what might those impacts be? And then we also start preparing uh, forecasted uh, loss estimates. you know as well. Uh, sometimes we do webinars, sometimes um, you know depending on the storm. Uh, And we provide losses and for that. We'll run the actual forecast from the Hurricane Center to estimate losses. And then as it's starting to make landfall, we have a whole team of uh, QC meteorologists that are focused on the real-time data. So they're looking at reports. They're watching live video streams from storm chasers in the storm. uh, Reports from the Weather Service. They're looking at radar data uh, to come up with the best representation of the wind field as it's making landfall. So we have... Uh, it's got kind of different views, uh, teams focus on risk, teams focus on the real time. And then right after the storm is finished going through, then our risk teams come back uh, and start focusing on what was the best representation of the losses that were observed, uh, both trying to get the most accurate understanding of the hazard. Uh, but then you have to combine a view of the hazard, the winds and the storm surge and the, the inland flooding with uh, all of our engineering expertise. Uh, so then they're looking at it Uh, in the losses, uh, as well as things like demand surge. And so it's a complicated model and processing that you put everything together. Uh, Yeah, It's a big machine that all gets gets revved up as soon as uh, it looks like a landfall is the sure thing.
0: Yeah. It, it's, I think people probably have this vision of all hands on deck when something like this happens. And it's so true that everybody you know, combines together, figures out how we're all going to respond in a collaborative way. And really, especially with event response, time is of the essence because we know the market is looking for that understanding of what are the properties at risk? What could potentially happen from these storms? And then after, what are the loss estimates? So I know that time is always of the essence whenever we're doing any event response. But it's not just when an event occurs that we can help insurers prepare for hurricanes. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what we offer to help specifically the insurance industry?
1: Sure. So, uh, as the event is unfolding, or if you're trying to look at historical events, we have a geospatial platform that's easy for anybody to use called Reactor, and Reactor hosts all of our real-time data, as well as historical footprints for wind, tornado, and hail. and so. Uh, If you want to go back and say, you know, now that it's been six months, here's where all the claims I received from Hurricane Laura are not going to overthrow on my PIF, uh, and we can estimate the the impacts to the PIF based on the wind speeds uh, from our forensic algorithms. Uh, And then, you know, we also provide long-term views of risk uh, for storm surge, and, and we have the whole catastrophe modeling piece as well to say, all right, this is what happened mm-hmm. in the past. I'm going to modify more my portfolio. What kind of losses might I see in the future? And so you can you know, manage. We have different platforms for managing uh, different views. Whether you're looking for risk, uh, long-term risk, short-term risk, or you know what happened in the last year or two historically.
0: Right. I think it's the we we talk about it often as the what would, what could and what did happen. So the deterministic, probabilistic and forensic, both the before, during and after an an event. So thank you for that. So, okay, to finish today, um, climate change is a hot topic. So can you say anything about climate change and what the future of hurricanes might look like?
1: yeah, so there's been a lot of research uh, on this topic. as you can imagine, there's a lot of uncertainty with regards to where the climate is going, and it's going to heavily depend on what humans do. And uh, since it's being mostly driven by uh, human activity, there's kind of a range of outcomes uh, that will result depending on how quickly we start limiting our fossil fuel output. But if you look at kind of the the average uh, most likely scenario, uh, when we run, I say we, the experts in the field run simulations for to estimate hurricane season, The there's a lot of uncertainty with respect to the frequency. So there's not a clear signal that there's actually going to be more hurricanes in general. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. some of the uh, worst years might get worse, but there's not a clear signal for an increasing activity overall. Uh, might change, but at least based on our understanding right now. And I think that will heavily depend on how uh, ENSO, so so La Niña and El Niño change in a future climate, because that has pretty big implications, like we're seeing this year, of whether a lot of storms are going to form and move through the Caribbean in the Gulf of Mexico or stay out in the middle of the Atlantic. But with regards to uh, intensity, that is actually fairly uh, well understood because hurricanes draw their uh, energy from the ocean. And so as the oceans continue getting warmer, they're going to support war- stronger and stronger hurricanes. And so they're estimating by the end of the century that uh, the average major hurricane will ha- be 7% stronger. And 7%, wow. yeah, 7% doesn't sound that strong, right? Or that much, right? But that will actually lead to a 180% increase in the losses because it's an exponential wow. uh, curve. So losses that occur at 130 miles an hour are substantially more than you'd see from 122 miles an hour.
0: Right yeah no that's such an important part of it. It it's funny cuz it, a lot of people think of you know I remember at the beginning of the season they were predicting it would be an overly active hurricane season. Mm-hmm. And the number of hurricanes doesn't mean anything. Like they could all be out in the ocean and not make landfall and it would be, essentially be irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's the the hurricanes of a certain size making landfall that are really the ones that we have to be concerned about. So obviously, you know, the the more severe ones, that's something to be concerned with. And then the more events we have, the higher probability that one of them may be a landfall. Right, so they all but,
1: will gain a little bit of intensity and that's how we get, we would, we do expect to have more major hurricanes in the future simply because some of those cat twos, you know, that are, or mm-hmm. storms that are cat twos now will be cat threes, you know, in a future climate in the 50, year, 30, 50 years. Um, right. some depression you know we'll have more tropical storms that uh, depressions that get upgraded topical, or depressions and depressions and hurricanes and and that kind of thing
0: so that that then triggers the thought of what can people do to prepare if we are going to be faced with more severe storms that are getting stronger in time so if we look specifically for like advice for homeowners or property owners or the industries that support property owners like banks and mortgage companies? What are some things that they can do to prepare?
1: So if you're a homeowner, you know, as the hurricanes uh, comes up on the forecast, obviously you want to heed all the government warnings and advisories and and leave uh, if that's appropriate. Uh, the biggest thing in terms of protecting your home uh, is protecting your window. So that's could be storm shutters, mm-hmm. could be putting up You know plywood uh, to cover those windows, but the windows tend to be the weakest point in the structure. And then if your windows go, then you have all this uh, wind blowing into your home, uh, which could eventually lead to your roof uh, coming off. So making sure that uh, your windows are secure is the number one thing. Making sure you don't have loose, uh, like, lawn furniture and and other things outside. You know, everything is brought in. Uh, Rain Rain. gutters are are unclogged. If there's going to be one to two feet of rain, you know, potentially. Uh, you want to make sure that that water is able to uh, flow off your roof and and away from your home, uh, you know, as possible. And then, if you're, you know, thinking about a big broader, like if uh, you're in a you're a bank or you're an insurer, understanding your risk is the biggest thing. A lot of uh, properties, until you actually run a detailed risk analysis. You might think well my these homes aren't on the beach so they're probably safe from a hurricane but maybe Mm -hmm. they're close to an inlet where that's going to actually flood uh, or they're close to a river that is maybe they're outside the 100 year fema flood zone and without a hurricane they'd be fine but then with you know catastrophic flooding from big hurricane like harvey all of a sudden um, you know they're in that in that zone so understanding your risk and your you know specifically the portfolio there and and uh, you know is really important
0: i that triggers the thought that one thing i know we often say is low risk doesn't mean no risk yeah so just because you're in a low risk area for flood or, or hurricane that doesn't mean that the risk is zero and and really just understanding what that risk could potentially be so yeah well this has been great daniel thank you so much for joining me today on core conversations a core logic podcast
1: thanks for having me it's been fun
0: so for more information and insights on the property market and the housing economy, please visit corelogic.com insights. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode and please remember to leave us a review, let us know what you think and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. Tune in next time for Core Conversations.